0: Welcome to the B and E Podcast with Brandon Colby Cook and Evan Schulte.
1: Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. All right, welcome to the B and the E podcast, where we talk about artistry and industry, and how these little things come together. Um, And we have a guest today, Christine Bissonette. She is a writer and a spoken word poet. And um, it's super...
2: The first of your kind
1: (laughs) on this (laughs) podcast. podcast. So you're leading the charge for all poets and writers. Well, not writers, but poets in the future. You're setting the bar for them. Whew. No pressure.
0: Okay. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Um, she's a wordsmith, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about the power of words. We're gonna talk about the power of emotion in words and how mm. um, all of those things play together, and um, and fun and fun and and your That's process right. and your story. Okay. Did we and, even say the title of, of this one? Sorry, just a, the... so. What was the title? The, having
3: the art of having
2: fun with words. The art of having fun with words.
3: That's what we called it, right?
2: Yeah. Something like that. I
3: feel like we just added a couple words onto that one. Did we? The art of...
1: Editing. <laughs> We're already editing. Look at this. A whole we, bunch of creatives get together. The what art do they do? of word-funning. <laughs> 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 um, so, Maybe yeah.
3: that was it. Maybe I'm just imagining.
1: You're, it's funny because it. I said it and you're like, I like it. Um, but, um <laughs> So I thought you guys had it And then I was like well, eh. oh, well. No
3: it was the art of having fun That's with right. words
1: Sometimes you just gotta stumble into it so it was it. having
3: fun with words and then you were like the art of
1: The art of having fun with words
3: That's why it sounds longer because you added and, But now it makes sense to me Oh but didn't you add the art? No you added that Oh I did
2: Yeah it was initially just having fun with words And then you added the art
1: <laughs> The art? Oh I did yeah. I did. Okay. Well, so, um, for those who are on the podcast, <laughs> who are not, um, listening to this live, cause we actually have a live audience. Um, we spent the pre-talk before this, just kind of figuring out what we would call this. Cause it's a topical, mm. it's a topical talk. And, uh, so anyway, it's basically having fun with words. Maybe we'll add the art too. Maybe we won't, but we'll figure it out by the end. Mostly I'm super excited to have you because, um, you know, for me, um, I was actually super judgmental of poetry when I was a young man in Mm. high school, as probably most young men are.
0: Yes. I imagine. And,
1: yeah, and uh, I had this English teacher who um, came along, and she encouraged me to start writing and like, you know, tell stories. Um, and so she helped me to write a little mini novel, like a noveletta type of thing. Mm. And, um, I shared her, like I shared the story and it was actually turned out to be super powerful. And then she kind of encouraged me to start writing poetry and I started to venture into it and I found I kind of had a little bit of a knack for it when I actually stopped the judgment. And, um, a couple poems actually got published really early on when I was like, I think, Fourteen or fifteen years old, nice. and I brought them into her, and, and uh, you know, I think the first one got published, and I brought that into her, and I was just like floored, and I was like, "Wow!" Like, and she—I I don't even remember her name. I would have to look at my yearbook actually, but she was my English teacher, she, and she changed my life. I mean, she changed my life by showing me the power of poetry. And the first poem I ever wrote was simply based on her guidance. Was like, write something that was a meaningful moment in your life. And it was for me, I fell out of a tree. I was probably about 60 feet high in the air. I fell out of the tree, the branch broke, and I caught a tree branch like below. I would have fallen 60 feet. I probably would have died or broken like some bones seriously, right? And when I was falling, it was probably only a few feet, but like it was probably maybe five, I don't know, but I caught onto this thing and I was hanging there. And I remember my friend was there and he's like, holy hell, how did you do that? Because I caught it with my left hand. But I remember in that moment, it was kind of like, I had my whole little 14 year old life flash before my eyes. And in a weird way, kind of saw my future. And I remember thinking, like, am I going to die? Or am I not going to die? And it was just this little precipice between is this the end or is or, or what is this? And I wrote a poem about that moment. And someone liked it a lot. And we are like, we need to publish this. And so that was how things began. They're but very cool. what's interesting is like, that's where poetry began for me is like, I could take this tiny little moment and express it with a series of words. Mm. And there's no like, I tell you guys a story in a very logical way right now, about I fell out of a tree and I kind a tree. But when you read the poem, um, it's just that you
2: experience it more, you know, because well, it's more than just like, falling out of a tree yeah. and there's a whole experience that was had there. There was a mm-hmm. whole lot of other things that were right working through you. Yeah. Yeah. It's an, yeah. So what I'm interested for you, Christine is what is your story?
1: How do you become the wordsmith poet that you are today?
3: Hmm. Uh, well I started, well, I thought I'd been saying that I started writing poetry when I was eight. Uh, but then I went home and I was going through um, Older report cards, and I found out that I'd actually, I guess, written my first first poem when I was six, but I don't remember that. Oh, wow. <laughs> but somebody, one of my teachers said something about that, and that I wrote a really nice poem, but I'd cool. only learned how to write English in grade one, so that must have been, so that's really kind of...
1: So you... you so I was just like, right I learned right English. The close. <laughs> <I was> just, <laughs> they like, gave you words, and you were like, already... All right.
3: <laughs> poetry.
1: Yeah. Okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I have no idea what I wrote. But I know the uh, the poems that I wrote when I was in grade four, because I remember a lot of them. And I used to carry around a little notebook. And when we went to library hour, uh, I would I would just sit in a corner and I would I would write. Mm. Um, and I'd write poems about like not all great topics. I wrote one about bugs. Yeah. I still remember it. I know that one off by heart. It's like oh, cool. in my body forever probably uh and then I wrote really inappropriate ones about <laughs> just topics I shouldn't have been writing about like um like aborted fetuses oh, and, like, wow. just things that like <laughs> going deep yeah <laughs> no business writing at all about, <laughs> but I was interested uh got myself in trouble with teachers a couple times because I'd show them my work and they'd call my mom be oh, like, wow. uh. <laughs> yeah. this girl's kind of uh
2: we don't know what to do we with this We don't know girl. what to
3: do with this
1: girl. <laughs> That's um, funny. I have a story to share about that. Yeah. A similar thing happened to me with the, my short story I wrote as a kid.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, like, they were like, but it's great. She's being creative, but the topics. Uh. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and I also was really quiet. That was the other thing. So I didn't speak. Um, I remember there was a running joke going around when I was in grade four, that if I spoke, one of the, a kid would be like, oh my gosh, she does speak. Uh, because I just spoke so little. If I had to, I only spoke if I absolutely had so to. That's so
1: interesting. Mm-hmm. I feel that's a very telling sign of being a poet. Because poets mm-hmm. like are known to like... There's Charlie, by the way, for their live audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, poets are known to really choose... They're words, you know, and it's, it's you, you, you know, you might take time to yeah. really pick that word, and so your silence um, is actually probably part of your process. I would imagine part
3: of it, but also I'm a, I'm a pretty sensitive person. Yeah, uh, I wish somebody had said that about me when I was a kid because I would have, I think maybe had a better idea of what my experience was. But mostly, what I remember now was that there was just so much happening. All the time, there was so much sensory input that I just couldn't really compete with it. There was ah. too much to observe, and to speak would be to disrupt what I was observing and also i was I was struggling with anxiety, still struggle a little bit a little yeah. bit with anxiety at that point, and so speaking was extremely difficult for me to do right. not only like it was just felt like it felt like a like something that I couldn't quite conquer yeah and uh something I remember people saying about me a lot especially later on when I've talked to them again is that I remember about you when you were a kid is that you had a really strong desire to speak and whenever you did speak it's like you were like like they could see how hard it was but also how much I wanted to that's cool yeah
1: that's amazing. I mean, that, that's, that's the most interesting thing about like, you know, just getting someone on here. Cause we get to hear a bit of your, your story. And I mean, I'm sure there's someone out there who can relate to that, you yeah. know? And, um, so then it, but what's really amazing to me is you shared that. And now like, um, you're doing like the pocket live, live broadcasting, yes. which for me, and I'm not, like, I'm not super charismatic <laughs> by any means. I'm, I actually consider myself a little bit more shy of an introvert sometimes. But putting myself out live was a real challenge in the first yeah. week, you know? And what's really cool is, like, I found that I started to face my fears and I grew a lot, which is amazing that you came from that place where you hardly spoke <laughs> to a place where you're willing to put yourself out live and people can watch, which mm-hmm. it's been a huge growth <clears throat> thing for me. But with your journey, that's amazing.
3: Yeah. Well, it, I think it's it's been... Uh, especially the last two years has been, have been a lot of learning experiences for me. Um, but um, certainly since I was uh, a kid, um, I had a strong desire to be in front of other people, even though it was the thing that scared me most. Right. And I would read my poetry in front of the class and read things that I wrote in front of the class. And I um, and, uh, just really wanted... I got into acting. I remember being grade six and just being so overcome by this shyness that I, I hated because it felt like something that was just really de- debilitating but I didn't know how to deal with it right and going to a Christmas play and I saw all these kids up on stage and I just remember sitting in the audience and being like I can do that <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's you awesome. are an actor <laughs> you are an actor yeah I can do that
0: I can do that
1: there's, uh, a, there's a joke that says uh, how many how many actors does it take to change a light bulb? And it says one, but a thousand other people to say I could have
0: done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah, but I mean, like that was that's where yeah it started was just knowing, just feeling that I could do that. That even though people considered me shy, even though I considered myself shy, that maybe I wasn't going to be shy forever. Yeah, and that maybe I could find a way to. Um, find kind of a self that was inside of me that had a different experience of the world that I could overcome some of that and that was that's been sort of what I've been working through ever since
1: that's awesome and you do um you do spoken word poetry which Mm -hmm. means that you'll get up on stage in front of a live audience yes and and I saw you do it which was really awesome at the pocket live event which is great um and you'll get up in front of the audience and you'll and I think it's like it's, it's, it's almost worse, or not worse, it's more challenging than acapella, like, singing, because you have nothing to hide behind. You don't even have the music to hide behind. No. Like, your words are, um, Charlie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she just wants to be your friend. <laughs> don't worry, he's, like, the friendliest cat ever. I love cats. <laughs> um, he'll come back around. Cat. Um, but, uh, Yeah. But I mean, you'll get up there and you'll, and I mean, it's, 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 you're, you're sharing just like a pure vulnerability, right? Which I think is, um, I don't know. I, to me, that seems like that's one of the most courageous acts we can do as, uh, as, as artists. So I, a lot of tribute to you for that. Thank you. Um, and I imagine there's Mm -hmm. probably been a process of getting over your fear to get up on stage and do that.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Like I could just imagine myself like when I was younger, like thinking of doing that. And I remember the first time I did, I did stand up once. Mm-hmm. And I remember just before getting up on stand up, I was like, "Oh man, what Uh-oh. am I about to do? Here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what have I just done?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, oh, and it's surprisingly, you know, there was there was, you know, anytime you do anything for the first time, there's your, your high moments and your low moments, mm-hmm. and you kind of learn, but. Um, you know, I'm very interested for your first time standing up in front of an audience mm-hmm. and doing that. What was that like for you?
3: It was amazing. I've got a pretty good story for that, too. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, the first time I ever did it was for Project Limelight, which is through uh, Maureen Webb's. Okay. Um, it's, in, it's in support of Project... Wait, so it's called, uh, what's it called... So it's in support of Project Limelight, which is a theater program for kids that is free. And it's, uh, it was called uh, Limelight After Dark, was the name of it. And, um, so my, my, I guess my journey as a writer, so I wrote poetry when I was a kid and then I stopped from grades, um, like after I got diagnosed, uh, or I got diagnosed with depression mm-hmm. and, uh, was medicated for depression from grade seven to 12. And okay. then when I, uh, when I went to university, I'd been in grade eight, I, I wanted to get off of it. I was the worst. I hated being medicated. That's yeah. my experience with medication. Everybody has a different experience. My experience was I really hated being medicated. Um, and, uh, when I left university or when I left for university, I got to the residence and I flushed the pills down the toilet, which isn't the best, uh, <laughs> so it wasn't the best thing I could have done. I mean, you're really, after being on medication for that long, you should wean off of it. Right. Um, I didn't do that.
0: <laughs> Old turkey. <laughs>
3: uh, but, uh, that's what I did. So I, um, so over the next six years, I kind of started to learn about myself in a pretty, um, Uh, It was was fairly difficult, and it took me a while to continue to to, to get back to writing. But when Mm -hmm. I moved, I moved to Vancouver with my uh, ex-boyfriend, boyfriend boyfriend at the time, from university. And uh, we went to university in New Brunswick. I'm from the Maritimes. Okay. So we flew across the country, and uh, he'd been great supporting me and being off medication. We dated for, we were together for six and a half years. And we moved to Vancouver three years into that. And um, I remember when we got here... I, uh, this is a long story. I, um, uh, I started working at a, at White Spot as a, as a hostess and uh, I was making like like $9 an hour or something crazy, <laughs> like after taxes were taken off
0: and, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: and uh, living in Vancouver which is and, like uh,
1: the most expensive yeah, city. I think yeah. I was
3: making like a little bit under a grand a month. And um, she's like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, like, graduated with university with high honors and then got here and was just like, I'm a hostess. Okay. Okay. Side note. Yeah.
1: Side note. We're making a movie which is actually one of the characters is kind of like, he's working a dead end job kind of like that. You know, yeah. it's like after you get your degree or whatever and you're just like, what the heck? Like, these promises that just don't happen. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, but part of it was that my self-esteem was so low. Right. I mean, yeah. Like it all feeds into it. Sure. Right? Yeah. So But it didn't change the fact that I was uh, working like lots of lots, like 40 hours a week and still making like less than a grand a month. Yeah. Uh, and I was walking downtown one, one week, one day with, uh, with my boyfriend and, uh, just started crying basically. I was like working in about an hour and a half and I was just like just in complete state of like Why did we come here? Yeah, I'm so afraid <laughs> Like, I want to be in this industry and I have no idea of how to enter it And he just turned to me. and He's like you're not writing you need to write And so he came up with the uh, idea for the blog Which was uh, in the beginning called the positivity project, which is a blog I started Ended up starting seven months. I started it about three weeks after that conversation great and uh, it was, and originally it was about my experience with growth uh, is how I started it. I was like, okay, I know where I am is not where I'm going to be forever. So I'm going to start this blog with the assumption that at some point I'm going to be somewhere that's better than this. Hmm. And, uh, and so I started writing from that, just writing about my experience. And uh, three years later is when I did the first spoken word poem. And um, through that whole blog uh, thing, I'd still had a lot of difficulty speaking. Uh, was really nervous speaking in front of people. That really didn't go away. I developed strong relationships. I created skills within myself um, as far as communicating with other people, which I didn't have as a kid. But I was still just really a, a nervous person. And. Um, also very unsure of my voice. Like, I felt like I had a voice. But uh, through writing that blog, I did start to develop a voice. And the feedback that I got then was people were shocked by the voice that was coming out of the blog because it was so different from the voice that I expressed myself as Mm. in person. Mm. And it started to become this alter ego, almost, where I I couldn't adopt that voice. But somehow my writing voice was really brave, really bold, really um, reflective in a way that who I was in life uh, did not have that same quality Um, and then so three years later I uh, so this all comes back to the first time I did ever did spoken word poetry I uh Jed Beach first of all had like this this contest um, to do like a 30 second clip of something in order to get admittance to a program that he was doing It was a contest, so I did a thirty-second. So I had an idea. I was like, okay, I'm going to do something. Spoken word poem poetry had been something that had been rattling around in my brain for about a year, and uh, I so I wrote a thirty-second clip, and I went down with my friend Jasmine, and uh, we filmed that thirty-second clip on the seawall, and it was just like it was just like little a a little section from something I'd written once on my blog, and I submitted it in, and I didn't get it, but then I had this clip, and I was like, okay. I really feel good about this still. Uh, and then uh, an email came up on my email browser saying, uh, uh, talking about uh, Limelight After Dark and saying they had an open mic. I was like, okay, okay. Um, so I sent them an email with that 30 second clip because the, uh, the spot was for three minutes. And I said, I've got this three minute poem. Here's 30 seconds of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I have a spot? And so they looked at the 30 second clip and they were like, okay, yeah, you can have a spot. Um, I had no three minute poem, but I had the 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, I, uh, so I had three weeks to write a poem. I, I put it off for uh, about a week and a half, and then I was like, okay, oh my God, yeah. I need to write this. So I sat down in the cafe in um, uh, Agro Cafe on Grandpa Island, yeah. and I uh, started pulling things from the blog and just like taking things in about a three hour writing session. And in that free or our writing session, I wrote Between the Lines, which is the poem that I performed at, um,
1: at the Pocket Live event. event.
3: And, uh, and, uh, then I performed it at Project Limelight and got amazing uh, feedback and it kind of all started from there. Amazing. Yeah.
1: Wow. So like, I mean, what's really, what I'm really seeing, like, as you share your story is how much you've kind of, you know, overcome your, your, like that part of yourself that like is our greatest block, you know? And I think like it's interesting a lot of what you shared because I feel like that's that's been a lot of my struggle too. I don't know about you, Evan, but like just kind of that whole basically the facing myself, you know. Mm -hmm. Like um like I was bullied in high school, you know, and I was an outsider, I was a loner. Um, you know, early on the kind of the cool kids had adopted me and then I kind of found out how like shallow that at least the ones in my school were. Mm -hmm. And I, and I didn't want to be a part of that, but then rejecting the cool kids, basically you might as well be a pariah in school. You know what I mean? So that's essentially what I became. And, um, I spent a lot of time on my own, you know, and I was doing my own thing and it wasn't until I was about 16. And I remember, um, like I had this moment where I went away to camp and, uh, and I don't know what it is. It's maybe was like, I was with some new kids and I had a new place and I always had this way I wanted to be, you know, and all of a sudden I just kind of started joking around and goofing around and, and I became like the center of attention for the first time in my life. I was always kind of this kind of rejected kid off to the side and I was super sensitive to I was actually like really very emotional kid, you know, and, um, but it was the first time where I started to experience, and then I made, and I also made a film that summer, which was when my film career really actually begun, and, um, it's really, it's, it's interesting. I was 16.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, and then, um, I went through, actually, um, like, uh, you were talking a bit about depression. I was just, Mm -hmm. like, relating to that, because I went through a depression, right about the time I was 21. I had a, one of my best friends, um, got killed in a car accident. My dad and I had a huge falling out. We didn't talk for like three years. So I went through this period of just feeling like very alone, very on my own. And, and just like that everything could just be taken away. And, um, I kind of worked through that. And then later on, you know, um, a few years ago, I went through another little period of it where some, some kind of crazy stuff happened. And I, I found that, um, and we actually did a podcast on that, but on depression, how I think it's something that we're kind of told is bad, but it's not, it, it's, it's not great when you're in it, but no. in a way you can find something about yourself that if you've never like gone to those lows, you might not have known. But I think it's really interesting, like what you're talking about, because like you go through that low, but now you have this huge resource of depth, you know? Yes. Because when you're there, like, I don't know how you experienced, but it's like, it feels like the world is ending. It feels like nothing well, will work. It was you just know?
3: sort of my experience too. I mean, yeah. the thing I think that bugs me most about it is that, um, I was in therapy for it. Um, and I remember the doctors telling me that I would be, that I would have a chemical imbalance in my brain for the rest of my life and that I would be medicated forever, Yeah. Uh, which I was not something I was on board for.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And good. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah.
3: Because like yeah.
1: there's so many ways in which like you know like like these doctors and like society wants it's, to medicate. That's you. a whole it's just to, a that's thing. a whole it's like, topic what? that's just like oh, I was 13 my when God, they said that to me. That's crazy. It's
3: just like it's just like makes me want to like scream that yeah. they would say that to a thirteen year old.
1: And the thing is is you're so young, like, yeah. you know, <clears throat> it wasn't really your choice to be medicated or not, right? No, like no. And, and you know, like I remember, like I w- when I went, like I went through my depression periods, and I'd say they probably lasted for the first one probably lasted for I'd say maybe a year and a half, or you know, or so. It was yeah, yeah it was hard. It was a really hard time. I spent a lot of time just like, and I, I, it was weird because I went from this kind of charismatic young kid, mm-hmm. like I went from kind of being a loner to like this charismatic young kid for like like several years, and then I hit this other depression, and I basically like, I stopped talking to people. I I remember. Um, just laying in my room, and I memorized all the shadows and all the things on the top of my ceiling. Wow. And I remember uh, we lived by the beach, and I remember all the other young people outside laughing and walking by, and I thinking like, "Man, I should be out there with them," but I didn't want to leave my house and I didn't want to go out. And um, you know, and, and it wasn't even that I couldn't be around people; it was just I just didn't feel like I could.
0: Mm. And
1: then um, I went and I went through another little period of it, but. Um, I never took meds, um, because I remember like, this is a little sub story. You don't know this about me, but, um, when I was a kid, when I, I, I never, I never really felt the emotional effects of this so much when I was a kid. But when I was about 14, we went from, my family went from like having millions of dollars, having like mansion and everything to losing it all. And we went and we were basically living in a trailer park. And my dad was so depressed. I mean, he was basically at a point where he was like, like the, probably the only reason why he didn't end his life was because of, you know, my, me and my brothers. Right. And, um, he said, you know, he took meds at at one point just to try, cause he was feeling so down. And he said, I never want to do that again, but you know, he was an adult, so he got to choose. Right. And yeah. you know what I mean? But he, I remember him telling me that and I and I thought, yeah, like, however, be-, like I watched him face that. And, and I think that gave me a lot of, um, ability to realize that no matter how bad it gets, you can kind of hang in there, you know, yeah. but it's such a weird thing, this whole, like... It's
3: very controversial, and my yeah. mom and I uh, have agreed to disagree over mm-hmm. the years, so as not to have an argument, because we do have differing, um, differing uh, thoughts on it, and I think I'm at a place now where I respect her decision, to put I was very angry about it for a yeah. long time, but um, now I know, it, I think it was the best thing, uh, I think maybe in some ways it did help me um, and at least the way that it helped me make the decision to not be on them. Right. And, uh, I learned what I don't want through that as far as, um, that whole experience. But I also know that, um, it's something that my mom really supports and I, uh, and I respect that.
0: Right.
1: And I think it's really, um, I just want to say, I think it's really brave and courageous for you to share that here yeah. with us because, and, and I've been sharing it more. I've been sharing it more and more these days because I think people will see me on this pocket live and they're like, Oh, this guy's filmmaker. He's charismatic. You know, he's out there and everything seems so good for him. And I just want people to know that like this journey has had its lows, you know, and, and if you're going through lows, it does not mean that it's not going to turn around and come back up. No. You know what I mean? And I think artists, especially, we need to share that because society doesn't always accept us and doesn't always like no. you know like say like hey this is you want to do this art thing get a job you know make money and 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 it, it's scary and it only can add to your kind of sense of like am I making the right choices in life and stuff like that so
3: mm-hmm.
1: anyway I just I, I want to kind of give you tribute for that and um, thank you, you know, it's something
3: that I uh, really want to talk openly about because yeah. it is definitely a big part of my story it's not something that uh, I want to dwell on because I don't yeah. want to hold on to that identity as somebody who's once depressed had something that I definitely want to let go of, uh, moving forward. I don't want to have that kind of weighing me down as knowing that's who I once was because it's not really who I am anymore. Right. Uh, but it is where I came from.
1: And that's, and that's mm-hmm. kind of like why we yeah. titled the, that's why we titled the podcast. What we did like mm-hmm. having fun, because that's the yeah, thing I've learned say, through my just... darkest periods mm-hmm. is that okay, you know what? I was way too serious. Let's have some fun now. Let's have fun making movies. Like, let's go back to when I was like six years old and I just wanted to be on Miami Vice or something.
2: Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yeah. So one of, one of, um, one of my sort of, uh, uh, philosophical and spiritual mentors, he always likes to say, it's like, he's like, we're lucky that we have, we have a limit to our suffering. yeah it's like there's there's only so far down we can go until we finally just reach a point where we just like i'm done with this yeah and then and we have these epiphanies about shit you know like but sometimes you have to like sink to such a level right but yeah it's kind of
3: making the decision of like what is the lowest that i can go you know (laughs) Like, like getting to the low and being like no it's not going lower than this. Like yeah. you kind of yeah. have to call it. You can't just let it keep calling itself. Yeah. It like, will keep getting lower if you're not like, no, this is it. This is, this is my breaking. This is my, this is my breakdown. This is, this is the lowest.
2: Yeah. That's one of the <laughs> things. <laughs> and it, and the thing is like, that's the thing with the breakdown <laughs> is that you, when you let yourself have the breakdown, yeah. you know, you have that moment when you're just like, um, just, just brought down to your knees, you know, and you're just like, ugh. And you're done, you finally let it all out, and you're like, oh, everything's okay, actually. Like, everything's (laughs) all right. But it's, like, it's that anticipation. It's that lead up into it. That's that's really what the worst part of it, I think, Mm -hmm. is, as opposed to... I think a big thing for me is learning how to let these things just, like, let yourself have it. Let it roll through you, Mm -hmm. and then move on instead of waiting for it. And, like, just trying to hang on and hang on and bury it and, like, just Mm -hmm. grip onto it so tightly... You know, totally. and you're like I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> no. And you're like, no, you're not okay. And that's okay. Yeah. And that's like one of the things they tell, um, people in AA. Yeah. Right. That was one of the biggest things from them. It's like, I'm not okay. You're not okay. And that's okay. Oh. That was one of their
3: biggest. Oh, somebody said that to me once. Yeah. yeah. It's
2: from AA.
3: That's yeah.
2: And, and in fact, actually, um, the, the doctors who came up with Alcoholics Anonymous, the mm-hmm. program, actually like um, they were named the most significant that what they did was the most significant spiritual contribution of like the 20th century
3: mm-hmm.
2: because it's very interesting when you meet alcoholics who've been through AA.
3: I've been to, um, an AA birthday party uh, with uh, somebody who I know who's in it. Yeah. Obviously I'm not going to say who, uh, but I, uh, but yeah, that was really, that was really an interesting experience.
2: It's really remarkable, you know, just like, because there is, there's like the, the first thing is saying like, I have absolutely no control over this anymore. Mm -hmm. It's admitting you have absolutely no control over this. It's so
1: hard to do. I mean, that's I think that's the thing that like kept me in my lowest moments was like trying to control it and trying to just pretend I was okay.
0: Yeah. And
1: it's like it's that submission almost to it, which is actually what frees you or which freed me. And I find that's very similar, you know, like once you accept and you kind of like relinquish control, you you have a moment to like kind of allow what is to be. Mm -hmm. And, um, and also there's that saying, um, this too shall pass, Yeah, which is something I always try to remind myself of even like on a bad day, you're just having like a day that just, no matter what, it just sucks. And you're like, (laughs) you're just like, okay, this will pass. Like this will pass. Like just let it, this, it today sucks for whatever reason. And you don't feel good about it. And there's nothing you can do to fix it or change it. Don't distract yourself. It just sucks and trust that this is just temporary. And I think like when you accept that, I find it passes quicker. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I've found in my own experience. Well, yeah, because
2: you can easily take a bad day. And this is, this is a thing from, it's, it's, I think it's funny that we have, our topic was about having fun and we start this conversation with the talk about depression, which <laughs> is, is not you know. that
1: ironic? Which is, it but yeah.
2: It's like, I, I mean, I went through a depression this last year, like, mm. um, And, but I realized like throughout looking past, past experiences in my life, I went through what I would maybe categorize as a soft depression, like a denial of like being in a depression. And then I was like, Oh yeah, I was actually not in a good place, but I was just like really numbing myself to it. (laughs) Yeah. But this last year I was like hit with like a depression that was just brutal. Like it was just, I've never sunk so low in my own mind. Like just of just utter despair. Like just, just fucking despair. Like, and it was just like, it was just you, I felt it lingering around me. I felt like the moments where I I felt okay were, were just going to be squashed at any second. And one of the things that it taught me among many things was don't make your emotions about more than what they're actually about because you have like a bad day and suddenly you know, your ego is telling you all of these stories about, it's like, yeah, you fucked everything up. Like it's going to be like this forever and tomorrow's going to be bad and everything's going to like, and it's just like, Whoa, hold on. And you know, got started by some stupid little thing. Like you stubbed your toe mm. and now it's like your whole life is coming apart. And it's like, no, it's your whole life is not coming apart. It's like, you know,
3: so how did you get out of that? Do you remember the day when you started to lift out?
2: Yeah, I did. I it was actually when I took a, I took a direct, um, look at the thing that was causing me the most anxiety.
0: Which was, which
2: was what? So basically, um, I what happened this year was uh, an ex, an existential crisis. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, yeah like straight up, it was an existential crisis and I'm, I'm still actually kind of in it. Um, but I'm, I'm on the other side of the valley Mm. now of it, you know, I'm just like, okay, like I'm clearing out some of this shit still and, you know, like learning from it and working through it. But I turned the corner with it, with the, this awareness that, um, it didn't necessarily this existential crisis didn't necessarily matter, or at least what it was telling me didn't really matter. I asked the, so what question to my fear, which was basically, I basically said, so what if, if there's no point to anything, it's all meaningless. It's all just chaos. There's no, like, there's no big plan about any of it. It's all just whatever. This is all it is. And that was What I was wrestling with, and it was causing me a lot of darkness and and just, you know, nothing seemed to have any point. And then when I followed it all the way down, it's like, okay, so what? What if there is no point? What if there was no point to, there's no point to any of this? And I realized that it didn't change anything it was just, I don't know. It was just like a profound, just like deep sense of like, I was laughing. I just started laughing <laughs> about it. I was just like, ha, ah, yeah. Oh my God, it doesn't change a fucking thing. Yeah. I was like, Eureka. Yeah. And it was like, I, 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 because it was like, I still have this life that's yeah. been given to me right now. And I still ch- have to choose how to live it no matter what's going on. Right. Like if mm-hmm. there's, you know, it's like, if, and Yeah, I was like, if there's no point, then whatever. At the end of your life, there was no point, but you still had to live your life the way you wanted to, and that's still your choice. I was like, oh, okay, great. And And, it is a
3: choice, isn't it? And it
2: is a choice. Yeah. And... And that's the other thing that it taught me too, yeah. is like, choose, this is still your choice. Like all of it is your decision. Yeah. Um, it's scary
3: how much of it is. your decision. Yes, too. I
2: know. And it, that's something that keeps on yeah. showing itself where it's just like, oh, is this my choice too? Am I still choosing? Holy shit. I am choosing to feel this way. I am choosing to be this way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's nuts. But yeah. And then the other thing that came out of it too, is after I'd followed that whole thing to its, to its sort of its end was Also that I didn't even believe that either. What? I didn't even believe that there was no point.
0: Oh, right.
2: Right. Like it was, I, I didn't even actually think that I was, but I had to actually, you have to let it go.
1: Yeah. It's like, uh, it's like, uh, the Christian who won't let go of God will like the possibility of God will always be in a crisis of their faith because until you're willing to even admit the idea that God may not exist and embrace that and, 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 and accept that that's a possibility, you can't actually believe in God. Yeah. So like, mm, it's, you know, it's like the thing, right? Until you can say no, you have to, to make s-
3: the choice to believe. Yes.
1: You can't have someone tell you to believe in God yeah. and actually be your belief. Yeah. You have to be willing to
2: let go of what someone told you
1: and then find it again for yourself.
2: Well, it's like in, um, one of my, favorite books that I quote often is, um, the laws of spirit by Dan Millman. Hmm. And in the chapter, the, um, and which is called the power of, or the law of choice, he says, um, there, until you learn the power to say no, you will never truly know how to say yes to something. Right. So I'm sort of in the
3: middle of that right now, of oh. learning how to, how to say no and embracing that and i find it exceptionally difficult.
2: but <laughs> <laughs> it, it's yeah. it's a good kind of a challenge though because yeah. it's a, to me it's like it's a real like it's a deepening of of who and what we truly are, mm-hmm. right? Because when we can learn to say no to something and then when we choose to say... or we don't even have to say no to things, that's the thing, but once we claim our power to say no to anything then we when we say yes to things, there's more meaning to it. There's more integrity behind it. If yeah, because you're not saying yeah. because <clears throat> you're not saying yes because you
1: feel like you have to, and it's your only option. Like you know, you're saying
2: yes because you truly
1: want to. Yeah, you personally yeah. chose. Yeah, which I think is a powerful lesson. So yes. what's really interesting is like I think this is so perfect how this is all gone because we decided to do a podcast about the fun. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: but you know what? I'm
2: actually having a great time. Yeah, it's right? oh yeah, totally. the, the
3: fun, you know, the lightness comes out of, of the dark. I think that's what exactly. makes the light so amazing. There's it's, a saying yeah. in
1: cinematography and film: the brighter the light, the darker the shadow. Yeah. And so, like, and I actually, um, I did a, I did a live broadcast about that. I was like, you see, like, you don't notice the light until it gets dark in here, and that's the thing: is that sometimes we can't even see light because when everything is just lit, we, we almost don't even notice light. Right. And the thing is, is once you start creating shadows, then you start noticing light. And that's why it's important to have darkness. It is. That's what creates context and texture to being an artist.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, um, I think led me to be the writer that I am now. And I really, I really like who I am now. So,
2: I think it's about, it's about like not choosing to live in the darkness. I think that's it. It's like, it's like peer, you can peer into the darkness, but don't, you don't have to go into it. Yeah.
1: You know, necessarily. And even if
2: you go into it, you don't have to stay there. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You can turn on the light. It's hard though. I mean,
3: I remember my experience with depression was just uh, being angry at anybody who told me, Oh, you just the snap out of it. Yeah. I don't know if you ever got that, you know, just oh, the yeah. snap out of it thing. Oh yeah. Which that is, you know, which is, which is, it's just a hard one, but at the same time, there's something about just being choose
1: to feel good. Brandon. That just,
3: yeah, I know. I mean, it's just like a, yeah,
1: yeah you don't get it. it. Like yeah, you don't yeah. get it,
3: but there's also the port of depression where you don't get it is such a common retort right. to that, that it makes it hard to acknowledge, to have, to have discourse about what your experience right. actually is and yeah. how you can actually, Uh, Go beyond it because you're so defensive about nobody understands what I'm going through right now.
1: Here's my theory. Mm -hmm. Here's my theory. If someone, like, I think it's really good when people start talking about depression Mm -hmm. and their darkness because if someone also has experienced darkness and you're in a dark place and they're willing to go into the darkness with you and say, you know what, where you are is okay. Mm -hmm. Now let's look for the light, you'll be like, okay, I'll do that. But a lot of people, they avoid the darkness and yeah. they are sit in their light from a judgmental place and say, Don't be in the darkness. Come to the light. It's better over here. Yeah. Meanwhile they don't come to your level, so they don't meet you at rapport. And I think that's why we need um culture to begin to start talking about depression because we have all this social media, Facebook, Twitter crap about everybody's like, my life's so great. I just booked this role. I just got this job. I'm flying to Tahiti. It's and,
3: challenging. Yeah, yeah. And and
1: so when you're depressed and you look at that and everybody's life looks so good and you're like, but it's all like so much of it's bullshit. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? It's
3: chosen moments. Yeah. It's chosen an online moments. life. Yeah. It's an online life. But I mean, when you look at somebody who's living real life, filming their online life or not felt but like taking pictures like there's something that's there's a there's something that doesn't quite measure up. Totally. You know?
2: <laughs> to me it's yeah. like sometimes the thing about being an artist and is like is really just cracking through that thin veneer of bullshit that's mm-hmm. just like that's just covers so much of our culture and our society. You yeah. know, it's like everybody's just like, look at me, I'm doing so great. It's like I don't know if everybody is doing so great, you know, it's like, let's like, not to say that people aren't having great things happening in their Mm -hmm. lives and people don't have love in their lives, but to just pretend that that's all that we have going on. And, you know, is clearly not the case. I mean, there's enough symptoms that we can see within our cultures and societies that says
3: we need, there's a
2: lot of shit that, yeah, we're not talking about that needs to be addressed. Right.
3: I've got a line that I haven't used yet in a poem yet in a poem, but it's, kind of floating. This kind of speaks to what you said, which was, um, just is only ever said to those of us who are, who are stuck who want to distance themselves from someone else's repetition.
1: Hmm. Say that one again. That's good.
3: Just as o- just, the word just is only ever said to those of us who are stuck by those of us who want to distance themselves from someone else's repetition.
0: Hmm.
1: That almost sounds like something out of Meisner. and <laughs> 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 It's interesting, you know, there's these words yeah. that I've taught myself and, and kind of learned to avoid saying in my life, don't say, uh, um, avoid saying words like can't and just, mm-hmm. and, um, um, and basically sorry, you know, because, sorry is hard. Yeah. Be- because those, those words like can't is a, like you say, won't, I won't do it. My will, I don't want to, but don't say can't, that's your ability why would you ever say that you don't have the ability? You know, like a lot of the time we do have the ability, but mm. we use the excuse and we convince people we don't have the ability and it's all bullshit. You have the ability. It's like, I can't go to that party because blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you could.
0: But you're choosing the truth is to. you
1: won't. You're choosing and won't is a choice. Yeah. Then just is a minimizer. It's like, if you say just, you, whatever you say preceding just is less than. Mm-hmm. So why would you ever minimize your life with words like just, you know, why would you bring yourself down and make yourself small? And then sorry,
0: yeah.
1: sorry is bullshit. <laughs> like, who cares if you're sorry, fix it, do something about it. Like you screwed up, take responsibility yeah. for it and make it better. Like who really cares if you're sorry about it? sorry, doesn't fix anything. But we have this kind of culture, like especially in Canada, where it's like, oh, I'm sorry. It's like, take your sorry bullshit. <laughs>
3: But we say sorry for things that we didn't mean to do.
1: Totally. God, I've yeah. said
3: sorry for somebody else bumping into me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's like in Canada, we're, like, taught to be so polite. Yeah. <laughs> it's bullshit politeness, right? And it's like, um, I think it's good to acknowledge that the other person's there. I think it's good to, like, maybe be like, you know, but I think this word, we get these words, and then mm-hmm. they get kind of tokenized into, like, a meaningless expression.
3: Yeah. You well, know? the just, the one that kind of inspired that... Uh, quote that I just shared with you was the, the expression, just be yourself. Mm. Which I fucking hate that expression so much. Yeah. <laughs> I just really, I just, it irks me. It's just like the worst thing to say to somebody. Yeah, just like, well, that's a, Oh, don't worry about it's it. Just like, be yourself. I
2: know, it's like, just be yourself. It's like this weird, like, <laughs> gelatinous glob of, like, of, of nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck is that even what supposed What does that mean? mean? That's terrible <laughs>
3: advice. I have no idea what to do with this.
2: Just... Be yourself just be yourself and you're like who the fuck is that <laughs> yeah. but that's another thing too yeah. is like I'm comprised literally of Twitter hashtags and shit I've seen on YouTube
0: yes uh-huh.
1: <laughs> so that's, you know that's the thing is like we're not like first of all when people say just be like I think I went off I think I went off on this one time but like just just be yourself it's like first of all we live in a culture <laughs> We live in a culture where we're not allowed to be ourselves. Mm-hmm. You have to be wearing the right clothes, the nice shoes. You have to look a certain way. You have to work a certain job. You have to live in a certain place, drive a certain car, be a certain person, hang out with certain people. And that is what gets you acceptance, love, blah, blah, blah. And that's what we're sold. So we believe that we have to be that. And so when some, someone says, just be yourself, it's like, well, you know what my self is? Myself's a scruffy faced guy wearing jogging pants sitting at home, hanging out with this cat. Do you like him? You know, and like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, mm-hmm. but like when I own it, people go, yeah, I like that guy. But when I don't feel good about it, how is anyone else going to feel good about it? Cause right. I don't even have self love and we're not taught self love. We're taught. Self- don't love, love yourself. Yeah. Be this other thing. And then people will love you. So you don't have to love yourself.
3: Self love is such a, I, I love this topic. Yeah. Um, uh, because it's something I... Um, when I first... Once I got to Vancouver and uh, the thing that I ended up, ended up doing uh, was I started working in the self-help industry. So that's where my path sort of led mm. me is I started writing for self-help experts, uh, which... <laughs> I'm the... I, uh, uh, it <laughs> I have a lot of things to say about that. <laughs> so much
0: to say. That so much to say, to say about uh, that.
3: But as far as self love goes, the way that I started learning about it, it was um was it turned into a checklist for me.
0: Okay. Of uh,
3: the way to self love myself <laughs> is to meditate and to exercise and to do a gratitude list and to like do all these things. And if I don't do all these things, that I'm not loving myself properly, mm. which yeah. isn't maybe that's like a Western way of loving yourself, but it wasn't working. Like checking things off a list every day still turns into a routine, still turns into something that doesn't feel very much like love. Totally.
1: To yeah. 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 You know what I learned about self-love and, and through this last <coughs> depressional period I went through really was it's really about self-acceptance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Basically just seeing myself at my worst and being like, I like that guy. I like that guy at his worst instead of pretending I'm not that guy, it's like seeing Mm. myself at my absolute worst and going, you know what? That's a solid fucking guy right there. That's a guy who's fighting. That's a guy who's trying. That's a guy who's real. And I started to like that guy. And then when I can rise above that, it's really easy. Like Mm. self-love's so easy when like I'm making tons of money, like everything's working out for me. Booked the role, got the job. It's so easy. But when nothing's working out for you, when you're when you just got dumped, when you lost your fortune, when you're when you found out a friend that you trusted backstabbed you, you know, like and and that point when you feel alone and you feel like you got nothing and nothing to offer and nobody's ever gonna love you, and you go, you know what? I love you. <laughs> and then you're like, I don't, I don't need any of that shit anymore. And then when you add on this stuff, then it's just a bonus. Right. And I think like we need to, we need to learn to love ourselves. This is just my theory and my mm. experience, but I think we need to learn to love ourselves at our absolute worst. If we do that, we can do anything, but I think we try to pretend we're not our worst and we try to avoid that. And, and I've heard it called the little black box. It's Mm -hmm. this little black box where you hide this part of yourself that you go, no one will ever love that or accept that, which I still have it. It's still there. Don't get me wrong. I haven't, like, I haven't, like, I'm not like a monk or guru or like, who's like found self-love entirely. I still have a part of myself that I probably still haven't accepted, but it's digging into that and going, you know, can I still love myself? You know, and like, like you can, you can actually, there's an exercise you can do. You can go, if I lost all my limbs, if I was paralyzed, if I, if my face got burnt off, could I still love myself? You know, if I, if I like couldn't remember anything, like you take all your worst fears and you could still love myself. If you can, if you could love yourself then, even just with your imagination, you can learn self-love and it's accepting yourself at your worst, which is not what we're taught. We're taught you need to be your best and then you'll get love, which is the total opposite. Mm -hmm. I think that's why we, we feel this,
2: uh, this deep sense of sorrow about who we well, are. Well, because then you're creating some sort of an idea of what you think you're supposed to be. Yeah. And then it's all an illusion. It's all a bunch of bullshit right. that you're putting up. And then, so you, yeah, you'll never ever feel like you deserve any kind of love because you know it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't fool yourself, right? Yeah. I mean, at least not for very long. No. And I mean, <laughs> you know, uh,
1: I heard uh, Mark Twain said, um, lying is the fastest way to become a stranger to yourself or something like that. Yeah. Mm. And like the, the ego is a lie, right? When we pretend to be something we're not, when we go out in the world and we present ourselves as something more than we really are.
3: Or less than we are. Or less
1: than we are. Mm. Yeah.
3: That's a big Which is too, they're I both think. there,
1: right? When we yeah. walk around with a false ego, like we, we try to be something other than what we are, basically. Like when you... Or we fall
3: victim to something that we think...
1: We need to be, yeah. No,
3: like, but like um, the thing that I've been experiencing or, or working with lately is, uh, is, is, is. There's a part of growth where you've grown, but I think there's a tendency, at least I'm finding myself a tendency to want to go backwards to the self that hasn't grown yet. Mm. You know, knowing things now about myself and and seeing the world in a different way and kind of wanting to go backwards to the part uh, that where I was before that feels safer and more familiar, even though I'm not as happy in that space. I'm kind of lying about who I am because I'm going back to less than what I am now. Mm -hmm. That's such a good, that's
1: such a good point. That's been actually, I'd say like that's been my, the end of 2016, beginning of 2017, my big lesson has been, let go of your need for comfort and safety about what you know and what's predictable. Mm -hmm. Embrace the unknown, you know, like go to a different place, do a different thing, Mm -hmm. talk to a different person, just keep pushing yourself out of your unknown bubble. Because I think like even the past of who I think I was, sometimes I'm like, oh man, I wish I was like, you know, that, that 16 year old kid or that 20 something guy, like these ideas of highlights of my life and then trying to like, be like, Oh, I've lost that. And I need to get that back. And it's like, no, like I was, I might've felt good for a period of time there, but I didn't, you know, really what I, what, what's powerful is being who I am now and choosing through like values and choosing through honesty to be who I authentically am and choose to experience my life that way.
3: Mm, right. I love that. Yes. Some I'm yeah. like, I'm
1: learning to, to, to look at life as, um, an experience. It's been, it's kind of been the big lesson of 2016 was that it's experience. It's, it's all, with, it's just all a bunch of experiences. And so that's, you know, and then when you kind of make it about the experience and like doing Evans, he does a Meisner, uh, it's basically an acting workshop Ah, and that really helped me as well. That's what
3: you said about the Meisner quote.
1: Meisner is all about being in the moment Mm -hmm. and repetition, but it taught me a lot about just being in that moment and making that moment entirely. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, I think Meisner is a great education just for anybody to have, just because I, I think that we're constantly looking like, Oh, when I get that car or when I get that job or book that role or when we're shooting or, when I get the award we, we always kind of are putting this in the, or if only it was different in the past and we keep getting ourselves out of that present moment. And that's where I think a lot of our pain and, and suffering and depression come from. Mm-hmm. But when you're present and you're truly in the moment, you this moment is okay. However it is, I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, but that's, I think that's the juice of life. You know, yeah. that's the, I don't know. Comparison
3: is hard to get yeah. to...
1: To get rid of, yeah. To get
3: rid of. I mean, in mean, comparison in terms of the moment I was in before, wanting to get back to that, thinking that where I am in now, that I've gone backwards. I have a constant fear of going backwards. Mm-hmm. got, like, a really terrible like fear that kind of follows me all around. I'm like, oh, I was so much better. So here, let's ago. do the
1: exercise. <laughs> let's do the exercise. So what if... What if you went back? So what? what's the fear? Where's the, so where the fear hides in the unknown, right? Once you get rid of the unknown, the fear goes away. Mm -hmm. So Evan and I have, we had a podcast about this and we said, so what? And and what if? So it's really, we're asking, so what? That's Mm -hmm. the question. So most people are asking, what if, what if I go back? What will happen? Right. That's the fear. That's Mm -hmm. where the fear hides. But if you ask, so what? Okay. So I go backwards and I go back to, so, so what's the problem with that?
3: Hmm. So wait, what's the question?
1: So the question is, so you have a fear of going back, right? Backwards. So what? That you,
2: or you have fear that you are going backwards. Yeah. Or Some that go- just, that, you somehow, might.
3: that I yeah. might... No, that I have or that I'm... It's uh, such a, like, a hard thing for me to verbalize into words. We don't have or to
2: do we don't, this right yeah, we don't, <laughs> we don't.
3: We don't have uh, to do it. Uh, uh, yeah. But, I mean, uh, I guess I'm... I'm
1: Hey, we don't have like to you know, looking it. back
3: at times when I've been when I've been fitter and being like, oh, but because like, I think back to those times, and I was never. I guess the lesson for me right now is being satisfied where I am right now because mm-hmm. I have so many memories of being in different places and always wanting to be someplace else. And when looking back on those places and being like, wow, like. I was in a really good place then, and I didn't acknowledge it, or, you know, like, how was I still hating my body at that point, point? Right. and, like, why am I putting so much energy into being like, oh, I need to, I mean, body issues has never been a big thing, but it still is a thing that takes up energy, and I hate that it takes up energy, mm-hmm. I hate that I, I hate that it takes up energy, that that's something that uses some of my mind, that I'll, I'll look at my clothing and looking at my thighs. Yeah. You know, I hate that that's something that I'm aware of.
1: Yeah. Uh, I hear you. I (laughs) totally hear you about that. Yeah. And so like, I think the thing is, is like, we, you know, we have this, uh, we have this like fear of like losing what we have or this Mm -hmm. fear of going back or whatever. But the thing is, is like gratitude and appreciation and like, which is kind of the, really in a lot of ways, the nectar of joy in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. is like having an acknowledgement of what you actually appreciate. You know, like for one thing, like, I mean, just like relationships, you know, when I was younger, I always, I kind of like, you know, the wild girl a little more, the girl who was a little bit more like out there and edgy and a little crazy and more of a partier, you know, and stuff like that. And, you know, um, and I remember, like you know, sometimes being in relationships where I had someone who was just really kind and genuine, and maybe not so much of a partyer and not so wild. And I never really appreciated them, but I, but then you ha- you know, and I look back sometimes I go, man, I messed up. Maybe I messed up something good, you know, and maybe I'll never have that again. Mm-hmm. But I look at it now, and what I've learned is to go, you know what? No, I've learned to appreciate what that is now, and. The thing is, is had I not been willing to let that go for whatever reason I needed to at the time, I may have never appreciated that person for who they were. So regardless of they come back in my life, which is totally irrelevant, I can experience my life for the rest of my life, appreciating someone like that, which I could never have done. So in a sense, the best thing I ever could have done was to experience the loss of that. So the thing is, is once you experience loss, then you have the choice to regain. Um, and the thing is, I think we have to, I mean, it gets into a little bit of a deeper thought, but we have to be able to detach a little bit from the material world. Like, for example, like if you believe that you say like, like, for example, I'm getting older, like my body might never be what it was like when I was 18, you know, and I was like prime and like playing hockey and playing soccer. You're in pretty good shape though. I try. Thanks, though. I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> so I'm, you know, so I, so I, so I look at that and I go, okay, well, maybe that will never be, you know, um, but uh, but you know, the thing is, is that what's really great is I can experience my life now, regardless of that, if I can ever get back there, and appreciate that time in my life,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that's the thing is, like, I think we get so attached to like needing to have the thing now, but it's actually like the appreciation of the thing, which is actually more important. Cause when I was younger, I didn't appreciate that. I was super fit and lean no. and had high metabolism. Nope. I just wanted to be stronger. There was always another guy I was comparing myself to, or something I thought I had to be.
3: Exactly. Right. But now
1: yeah. I'm like, I'm actually really comfortable in my shoes. Do I, do I necessarily have the same physical body I had? No, but what's interesting is that it's actually better. Yeah. So you know what I mean? So I'm just saying like,
2: I don't know if that... Yeah, no, it's, it, it's, there's definitely, um, I mean, to me, it's all just reminders to stay, to stay present. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's because of my understanding of how time works and how the ego works with time is that it, our minds use the past for guilt to project fear into the future. Yes. And so, and you'll find yourself in this state and you're like, oh my God. And when you can just actually take a breath and just bring yourself back to present and realize that everything is completely okay right now and everything else is just some sort of a perception and concept that you have. And I, I think it comes down to letting things go as well, like in terms of what you, um, like not only letting go of things in the past, that one seems a little bit more obvious, but letting go of the future, I think is a skill that, that is maybe a little bit harder to do than people think. Like we, we do, we talk a lot about let go of the past, let go of the past. Yes. Very important. But letting go of the future, I think is one of those like little tricky bitches that is underrated because we have all of these expectations or thoughts and, and the what ifs about the future and and whatever. It's like
3: not making the the future into the past, you know, like we're talking about wanting to get back there, but maybe that's something that uh, we need to talk about is like, do we want to go back to the body? Do I want to go back to the body that I had as a 12 year old? I could starve myself until I don't have any hips left, but the reality is I have hips now because I'm not a 12 year old. Yeah. (laughs) So, who I am now I can't go back so if I can't go back what are my choices it's to go forward and what does it mean to go forward it's 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 different so I mean like right now I think we're in a a spot where there is I feel like this a strong desire especially in the industry with all the with the prevalence of sequels to to recreate what has already been Mm -hmm. and I think it's really important for us to now talk about well, what else can we create? Cause yeah. we can't continuously create the old. Mm-hmm. At some point we need to create something new.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. No, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's absolutely. That's, yeah. I like how you brought sequels into it, especially being like a filmmaker. And yeah. it's, <laughs> it's, it's interesting, you know, uh, to, you know, I've, I've heard it put like, remakes,
3: sequels remakes, yeah, yeah, when
1: you take the past, when, you know, you're here and if you take the past and you, and, and what people do is they take the past and they put it into their future and yep. they're doomed to repeat over and over and over again, um, by trying to reclaim past things, as opposed to seeing the past as this great gift and service mm-hmm. to what you are today. And like, um, you know, like one of the, one of the things that like, I've kind of learned to do more and more is let go of the past and who I think I was or who I thought I was supposed to be and embrace something that I don't know yet. Like maybe I'm someone, someone else, but I have to be willing to let go of what, like my past story. Like, for example, like, you know, I can tell my story. Oh yeah, like. You know, we lost our fortune when I was 14. I lived in a trailer park. I went from riches to rags, and then I became I lived a in kid. a
3: trailer park, yeah. too. Yeah.
1: yeah, I did you? Yeah. Hey, trailer park friends. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get to
2: join. <laughs> I lived in a trailer park for about a month. All right, all right. There you have? Boom, all right. there it is. So, um, <laughs> I
3: was only there for a year. I don't know how long you were.
2: Yeah, I think it was about a year. A year. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so, I mean, uh, we, you know, so we have this story we've lived, but what we've made that story mean about us is not necessarily true. No. You know what I mean? And that's and the thing is those yes, those events may have happened, but they don't mean something about you. You know, and I think that um you know everything that we've experienced is kind of a it's it's like a gift. And so like I look it's just to kind of come back. My point was this. Would I give up who I am today? Um like if it, if I could get rid of, like, if I could have not gone through my depressional period, if I could have not had certain things fall, fall apart, would I be willing to give up who I am today to like erase that? And I think like self, when you realize self-love, you go, no, because who I've become, because I've lived through those events, those things are, are gifts that you, you know, in a way, like they're something that not everybody gets to have. And the key word is gets, you get to have something like you went through a depression at a young age. And I know that like, it might not be usual or normal or whatever, but the thing is, is you got a gift Mm -hmm. that not everybody got to experience, which Mm -hmm. means you gain an access to something that we all maybe don't, which is really neat because it actually informs more of your voice and more of the, the way you can be moving forward. So it's like as hard as these adversities are. They're actually what make us, they give us character.
2: They make us have
1: personality. But I
2: think that there are also things that, you know, sometimes I think that we have certain types of experiences and we feel them so acutely so that we can express them to the rest of the world who actually does. We actually all do feel these things, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think that there's, I think that depression is something that actually all human beings deal with. Mm Mm-hmm. I think deep down, like there's we're all going through a little bit bit of it to some extent. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it takes for whatever reason, those of us who are more sensitive, you know, to certain things, right? Like it's just we bring these things out and we're able to express them, communicate them, and bring empathy to these things so that people can heal. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the beauty of art comes in. Mm-hmm. I do think that art and why there's things like art therapy and stuff like that. I mm-hmm. think art is a form of healing. Yes. Like, yes, it's storytelling, but why do we do it? Well, it's to heal. We're healing things with every story. Ideally we're healing things with every story we're telling through our work. Yeah. Right. Like we're, we're shining light. We're creating empathy. Meryl Streep was talking about that in her, um, golden globe speech. Mm-hmm. You know, she was just like, it's about bringing empathy. hmm. Helping people to connect to other human beings, to understand ourselves a little bit more, and to let things go. I think it's how we <laughs> communicate
3: with each other the most. Yeah, uh, authentically, yeah. potentially, or in a different way. You know, like my boy Like uh, when I speak now, I'm in some ways hindered by a lot of different things uh, related to uh, myself or to my identity. If I have certain certain limitations which i've considered are a part of i've decided or have been uh, added to my experience of life those are hindering in some ways what i say and what i don't uh, but through art some of those hindrances i think for me at least disappear and i think uh, it's an experience shared by other artists as well yeah where those hindrances don't play as big as a role and that you're able to express more than you are as yourself
2: mm-hmm. absolutely it's like that yeah. whole thing of the um the the lie to tell the truth. Yeah. Right. What do you mean the lie to tell the truth? Well, I mean it's it was an old theater quote. I, I like I just <laughs> like destroyed this Brandon gets a kick out of this every single time. I'm well, full dude, of things no, that like quotes and things that I've read that I'm like, oh that's really great and then I just like butcher it in the on the quotation well, but that's
3: completely on bored. I was like, yeah, I get what you mean. But, but yeah, sure. it's <laughs> like
2: it was it was um I can't remember who even said it either, mm-hmm. but it was basically, it was about the theater and about actors and, and yeah, it's like, it's like we, it's so basically it was like the, how most people in real life are telling a great lie, but we tell a great lie to say the truth right oh
3: yeah because yeah I guess yeah and it's it's like yeah
2: it's all fabrication like you know Mm -hmm. it's a set it's costumes they're actors Mm -hmm. not their actual lives but there is something real that's being talked about that nobody is really talking about that's Mm -hmm. like shedding light on something that's deep within us you know that's below all of the veneer and the surface shit that we and distractions that we consume ourselves with right and
3: there's something about the construct of theater where when you put it up on the stage and you embellish certain things and make them a little bit bigger you kind of also give yourself permission to talk about those harder to talk about topics yeah you know you kind of get a pass so you're allowed to talk about those things that we don't talk about in polite conversation yeah you have a pass to talk about those in the archetype of the the theater Yeah. yeah archetype i don't know if that's the correct word but yeah construct of the theater yeah
1: we had a, we had a, a guest on Thalia Chur, um, and she was, uh, she was talking about, uh, well, we just discovered on that podcast about how sometimes you're communicating a deep truth in art. You mm-hmm. don't even know you're communicating. Mm-hmm. Like when I was writing that script, I wrote that script, the burning blues. Um, I didn't know the truth that I was actually communicating mm-hmm. to me. I was talking about an undercover cop who was trying to, who was dealing with a family he never saw and trying to take down this criminal organization. But really in truth, if you break it all down and you looked at my personal life at the time, you would see that I was in a totally destructive relationship, um, with someone who, um, I don't think really at least didn't care about me anymore. Mm. And I was trying to win their love and trying to, you know, find a way to keep it going and looking for them for my support, and at the same time, I had <clears throat> friendships that were—I was realizing—were not real. They weren't real friendships. And meanwhile, this undercover cop was dealing with this wife that basically wanted to divorce him and was rejecting his dream and his job. And uh, also, he was dealing with this this gang and these police officers who were corrupt and were basically using him. And so it was a parallel to what was going on in my life at the time. And so what's really interesting is, yeah, it's an undercover cop story, but there was a truth I was actually sharing. And and what's interesting is I didn't even know that was happening,
0: Mm -hmm. yeah,
1: which I find fascinating because I just thought, oh yeah, I want to tell an undercover cop story. Meanwhile, my heart is being laid out on the table and like literally shown, but in a metaphorical way, which I find kind of fascinating about the whole process so i think like um you know these uh these life experiences we have as artists that they are real gifts for us to be able to communicate human truths i mean i'm sure people have experienced um betrayal and they've experienced um you know uh being alone they've experienced um unrequited you know or unrequited unrequited love yeah right and uh you know um, and so I gave my experience of it, but through an undercover cop story. And what's really neat is that I think that's what made that story kind of work and which appealed to people, mm-hmm. um, the financiers and stuff, because it wasn't just a cop story. It was a, it was a story about a guy, <laughs> you know, and in his own way, like so. Then, but I got to take this thing and heal it through my writing, you know. Yeah. And so, anyway, I think it's it's interesting how like artistry is this very healing process. And it's, it's a profound way in which we share because we really do like the, the whole undercover cop story is like never happened, but there's a truth underneath this, this series of false events, you know, a series of made up events. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm thinking we, we talk about the beer and And then,
2: and then let's juxtapose this conversation. I want to get back into like what we had talked about before we even started recording because like mm-hmm. that was some delicious stuff that I want to like yeah. really get into okay. but we will talk about this delicious stuff so um, segue before you tell us what it is we have this little
1: thing we do. So all these conversations started at craft breweries where we um, oh nice anybody wants a little bit more Woohoo! Yeah, I'll do a top- up. Thank um, you. So it started out that we, um, you know, Evan and I, that we were writing a script together and, um, we would, we were actually rewriting it at the time and we would sit down at like a craft brewery. And before we started writing, we would always have this chat, um, just about our life as artists and how we were kind of like trying to keep our integrity as artists, but at the same time, um, you know, what we were struggling with, um, as artists, but also in the industry and trying to find that balance, you know, of, of integrity authenticity all that stuff got to put it down super so light those so we do a cheers yeah we'll do a cheers here i'll just move this over a little um yeah and so we are basically that's how this all originated
3: that's really neat yeah cheers cheers cheers
1: thanks for being on the podcast thank, thank you. you yeah so you tell us what you think of this beer after you sip it okay
3: delicious. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I not like. a very big beer, beer connoisseur, but, uh, that's,
0: a,
1: that's good. But it's delicious. Well, it's good for the, for the craft brew company to hear okay. that. I think it's delicious. Yes. So it's, it's dark. It's, um, it's kind of malty. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm liking it. It's, it's, uh, it's a little dry and it's, um, it's definitely like a good, like, like winter beer, you know, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's very dark. It's almost like I mean, it looks like a Guinness, almost. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, I had
3: somebody once tell like uh, it was the kind of beer where uh, I think a lot of girls don't like it, and I'm making a complete generalization, but I went for uh, <laughs> like, a, like a way generalization, but I was talking to a friend recently, not recently, like several months ago, and we went out for a beer, and he said, uh, take a sip, and I took a sip, and he's like, okay, well, take a sip of your beer. Okay. Okay, I just... I didn't even see you. But apparently, uh, what he was saying, is like a lot of girls, and me included, oh, such a generalization, I don't want to say this. Say, it, girls,
0: say it!
1: Say but it! We'll, we'll take
3: like a smaller sip where guys take a gulp, and not right. many women take a gulp, and so it changes this, the taste experience.
1: So we're very feminine, you and I, Evan. Yeah. <laughs> we just sipped. We sipped. Um, I sip. <laughs> no, I could see that mm-hmm. happening. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I made a generalization one time on here about beer and Evan like slapped it down. I was like, I, you know, like women tend to like the sweeter beer. And he was like, you don't know that. I'm like, actually I don't. Cause I, I've met a few women that are like, I want as much hops as you can bring. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Whoa. You know? So anyway, yeah. but it's, yeah, it's all good. Um, yeah, we'll I like think it's a stout, things. I guess. And it's, uh, it's yeah. malty, a little dry and it's nice. Cool. I like it.
2: See? Yeah. Well, this is, um, from Red Truck Brewing, and this is their dry nibbed stout. Hey, look at that! I must be getting pretty good after
1: you know this many podcasts that taste and beer. Yeah,
3: you didn't know the title? Was no, this a surprise? I just
1: knew that it was dry and it was a stout. Mm. And, yeah, uh, yeah, so I got those dry, Nib. What's nibbed? nibbed. What's the little, I don't know.
2: So, the story behind that is that um, there are actually cocoa nibs in the brew. Uh from Nicaragua, Nicaragua, (gasps) and Ghana. Okay. So that was something interesting that they shared with me over there. And, um, yeah, I had a sip of this one. I tried another one over there at the same time, which was also very delicious. It was a black berry bourbon something that was really interesting. But I thought, and normally I don't go for dark beers, Mm -hmm. but I really like this one because it kind of still was nice and had a nice finish to it. It was still very satisfying and refreshing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that's cool, man. Another winner. So red truck.
1: Red truck brewing. Thank you, sirs. Um, yeah, so we have a tradition. We always do a beer. And, and we, we like to let the guest tell us what they think first. And then whoever, he got the beer today. So then I kind of say first what I think of it. And then we kind of get some honest, without knowing, then we get some honest ex- experiences like what do we think of the beer. And then
2: we reveal it. Yeah. So I don't know if we always did that, but I think that's
3: It goes a down very a easy stickler. in my experience with the beer.
2: It goes down easy, It goes Red down truck.
3: easy.
1: <laughs> Just so you know. Mm-hmm. your nib beer, your nib stout.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Good experience.
1: Um, okay. So, so, so let's talk about your wordsmithing and
2: the joy yeah. of it. Yes. And yeah. yeah, the fun that you're learning to have.
3: With, yeah. Yeah. With
2: it. So or trying to, at least. Or trying
3: to, <laughs> um, I, yeah, definitely learned recently, especially is at some, at one point, Writing became, I was just trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to do. Writing kept coming back. It's been something that's been a part of my life forever. Uh, but obviously lots of fear around that. Uh, and I found myself at, some, at one point writing stories, but writing them with the intention of finishing them, if that makes sense. Where my, my writing process was really, um, was really uh, hampered by my desire to write something really good. And so I wasn't enjoying the process of writing because mm. I was just so terrified that, or so preoccupied with what I was trying to do versus really finding the joy in it. Because, I mean, if, if what I was searching for was a career as a writer, part of having a career as a writer is writing and enjoying that process of writing. It's not just finishing. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's been sort of my my uh, journey, I think, over the last couple of years is is getting back to that. to a certain writing that I really enjoy doing and do very easily, which is on my blog, which is talking about my experiences. Uh, that comes really easy. But different ones, like short story writing, comes a little bit harder. Poetry comes fairly easy, uh, but it goes back and forth.
0: Hmm. Uh,
3: but really um, embracing those forms that I'm not familiar with, like short story writing, and uh, being willing to stretch... What I know that I can do as a writer, I find fiction writing exceptionally difficult uh, mm. right now. Uh, poetry writing, reflection writing, I find really easy because I find it really easy to talk about my experience. Right. I find it really easy to be myself on in, on the page, uh, be myself on the page.
2: <laughs> <laughs> just be, <laughs> you just yourself, be myself would you?
3: on the page. I find it really you, easy just to yeah.
2: You strike <laughs> me as as a very introspective person, yes. so I can understand how that would lead to reflection yeah. type of writing you know and i find that really itself. easy yeah. Yeah. It's yeah it's
3: it's something that i really enjoy doing it's something that comes naturally um i think i am somebody who has a lot of ideas and so i really enjoy exploring those ideas which is something that is really important as a writer is valuing your ideas Hmm. same with any artistry that's where it has to start is you have to recognize you can't have an idea and be like somebody else has already thought of that yeah you know you have to get rid of that impulse because you won't be able to create anything if the first thing that you think when you come up with something new is somebody else has already thought of it you have to own your ideas oh yeah
2: that's an ego voice power someone else probably came up Somebody's already thought
3: of this oh it's like
2: but that's not how creativity works if it entered into you it's because it's a message that's that's looking to be communicated and explored yeah Yeah. so say yes
3: so say yes to
1: it yeah yeah
3: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, but yeah
1: well and also like you can take an idea that maybe has been like theoretically on the surface done many times, but your interpretation of it is unique.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, um, your, your, your way of saying the same thing makes it entirely different, even though it's the same thing. I mean, I'm not the first person to write an undercover cop story. No. You know what I mean? And like, you know, but the thing is, is what it's evolving to, and that's also with editing, right? It is evolving more with my voices becoming more in it. And as that happens, which is a unique a unique experience for me, is that, yeah, it's, a, it's an undercover cop story, but it's becoming
2: a unique undercover cop story. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's, uh, I think, on our last podcast, um, when we had Shane on, we talked a little bit about Fight Club, just briefly. Yeah. And basically saying it's like yeah this was like this sort of revolutionary type of a film like it's cult classic like there's so many messages going on it and it's like is there a single original message that's actually going on in there not really because this whole concept of like you know what what you own ends up owning you and those things materialism.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, that's, that's Buddhism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And probably even before that, like these are not new concepts, right. Mm-hmm. But they need to be, sometimes these concepts need to be fleshed out or you get into some of the nitty gritty details mm-hmm. of these things, or you portray it in a certain well, way. You, you bring express. your own experience.
3: It's like yeah. a song. There's only what 12 notes. Is there 12 notes? I don't know how many notes are there.
2: No idea. Don't look at oh, me for music. Uh, <laughs> my music theory is not like the best. But I
3: feel like there's either eight or twelve. So
2: yeah, probably. I mean, but I
3: mean, yeah. There's the sounds are already there. You're not going to create a new sound, but you're going to create a new combination. Because yeah. now you now might I'm, not I'm, even create. Now
2: balance. I'm thinking about this like C D E F G A and then B, the minors and then yeah, seven, and then you've got you got sharps and flats I in mean, there good. as well. So seven, Oh yeah. And then I guess that there's, yeah, there'd there's be, 12. there'd be 12. There's yeah, 12. there's right. Because then there's five because there's only cool. five sharps and flaps. Some of them just don't exist, which has always kind of boggled my mind because there's no such thing. There's a, I don't know if people remember from the Simpsons, but they called themselves, uh, where Homer is in an acapella group. Hmm. They call themselves the B sharps. B sharp doesn't exist. Oh, but like, it's weird. There's a few notes that just simply don't exist. You think logically each one would have a sharp or, or a flat, but there's there's no no such thing as a B sharp or a C flat. Huh. Interesting. There's like, which is the same kind of a note. So you can still call something, um, like conventionally you would call a C, call it a C sharp, but you could technically still call it a D flat it would be the same...
3: Okay, this is going...
2: Anyhow. Okay.
3: Sorry. I, I, just,
2: side note, I just think it's yeah, a weird music thing. music theory from Evan. The thing that I was just saying is kind of mind-blowing about it is that, like, but why does it just... There are just two that don't exist yeah. in that whole scale, and why is it only these ones, and it's just kind of a weird thing.
3: Mm-hmm. Just, I'm not why. sure oh, how notes. we got
2: onto this one.
3: We are talking about... Uh, ideas already existing.
2: Okay. Yes. I almost lost
1: the plot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I could, I you, <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, taking old wisdoms and repackaging them. Yeah. So on, a, on the pocket live broadcast, I did a broadcast on, um, just about, cause I'm like a self-sustaining artist. I live 100% off my artistry and mm-hmm. basically,
3: I don't live 100% off. I mean, you do lots of odd jobs.
1: Yeah. I mean, and most artists do, right? And so it's taken, it, you know, it took me, um, some discipline and some practice to kind of get myself to this place. And it's not always been easy. Um, and maintaining that, um, I think, well, I took on for the first time I ever, because I was making a, like some transitions, I took on a couple, like, like a, like a little bit of a labor job over the summer just to like substitute some cash. But for the most part, for years, I hadn't really had a Joe job. Um, but I learned certain strategies about packaging and, and doing things like that. But on, uh, the pocket live feed there, um, one of, uh, one of, one of my regulars who tunes in Cameron, he, um, you know, he kind of took the idea of creating, I said, create an asset, create an asset and sell an asset. So he started creating these eBooks and now he's selling them. Right. And, um, and so that's an asset because those books can sell while you sleep and you don't have to put your time in to sell them. Right. But, um, what he basically did was he took some old, uh, basically some old wisdoms that I kind of use, but he repackaged them, but he's 11 years old, but is he he re- 11? Yeah, he's oh, 11, man. but he repackaged them as an 11 year old would, which is a great filter on old wisdoms. And really the old wisdoms that I shared with them were a, a few old wisdoms from a, a, a book called the richest man in Babylon. Oh, and, that, yeah. and then a, another book called uh, think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill. And, um, you know? And so basically he's taking these old concepts. They've been around for forever, but he's repackaging them in a modern day as an 11 year old. I mean, of course people will buy that. Right. And then I even helped him, uh, pick a title for his book with something like, um, how I became financially independent by 11 years old, mm. which people are going to click on and they're going to be like, I'm interested in that book. You know what I mean?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I'm just, because it is, it's almost too good to resist. You exactly. know, there's someone yeah. who's just like sitting there, they're like exhausted, like yeah. from working like two jobs and they're just like, what?
1: <laughs> but that's the beauty of it 11-year-old. Is, is that, you know, he, but like for him, it was the first time he had ever heard those ideas. Right in spite of them being around. So his own interpretation and his own understanding of it makes them new, which is, which is, I think what we need to understand is the artistry is that our own subjectivity is what makes art exist. Yep. If everything was objective, mm-hmm. then we would just write a book and no one would ever write a book about that again. Someone would write a book on filmmaking mm-hmm. and that would be the last book ever written on filmmaking. But people don't do that. Some people write books on filmmaking, which is the one we went over, which is like how to produce a movie on under this budget. Yeah. Other people write them how to produce it for way more. Some people talk about how to shoot your film. Some people talk about how to do casting. Some people talk about, you know how to color your film. And so there's all these other things, but, and then there's many other books on top of that. And so I think the thing is, is that there's an artistry to our subjective understanding of these ideas.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That some people can only hear from you. Yes. Yeah. Like someone else could tell them the message and they won't get it, but you tell them the message and it just sinks in crystal clear. And I think that's
1: the interesting thing because um, for for like my audience on Pocket Live, I think like a lot of people are registering with what I'm saying because I'm like a young guy who's like relatively like charismatic and and I have like kind of a career that I think you know. But I'm not like some old person telling you like what to do. And so I think like my younger audiences they relate they relate and that makes sense to them. They connect to it. So their parents could tell them all the things, you know. Teachers could tell them all the things. But then for whatever reason, I'm the guy that it lands, you know, and so yeah. my own version of saying it is what lands with people. And I think that's the unique thing. And I'll just bring that back to like your poetry, mm-hmm. like the way you do your poetry, you can say words and ideas that might never land with someone until you say them, because only you have that subjective experience, yeah. which I think is super cool. Well, thank y- you. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, that was what I experienced there, at the live event, you know,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that's you know that 's the sign of someone who's really like owning their artistic yeah medium and or um,
3: spoken word poetry is uh, it 's a medium that i I love because it was part of my healing mm-hmm. really as a as a person was being able to speak the words that I wrote it 's how I started to lessen the divide. I talked a bit about the, the the differences between my written voice and my spoken voice. spoken word poetry was how I started to. To bridge that gap,
0: right. mm-hmm. uh,
3: was finding the ability to write to speak what I'd been writing, because if I could, if I could add my sound to the words which were which I knew were more me than whatever I was currently doing, uh, then I started to really shift, make make some big shifts.
0: Right.
3: So that's why spoken word poetry is big for me. Is I think there's something really powerful about the written word, and when we can speak what we write, there's something really amazing about that for me. Something very healing.
1: Very cool. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, like with like, uh, my screenwriting career, um, last year kind of took off a bit and, uh, I've been writing a lot of like sci-fi thriller, like dramas, like, you Mm. know, heavy, heavy shit really. And, um, after this 2016 was, it was a little bit of a heavy year too, in certain ways personally, Mm. but I kind of was like, I just want to write some comedy. I want to like laugh at life a little here because like, I feel like I'm getting so serious about it. But when I started as a filmmaker, my first, um, script and movie, which actually won first place in a festival was a comedy.
3: Congratulations.
1: Thank you. And, and, and the thing is, is like, I think I naturally have, uh, like a lot of scripts that I've written, but never really published or went forward with are comedies. And I think like at the root of it all, I like to find the funny in things. And I think like, it's something that i'm going to have to like honestly like just take the reins on and embrace mm-hmm. because i don't think like someone's going to hire me to write comedy until i can actually like demonstrate that i can actually write funny stuff yeah. you know what i mean and so i think like what's um what i'm kind of like embracing a little bit now is like where's the fun in this you know like where is the where's the laugh where's the joke where's the where's the lightness of the whole situation
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know um Um, I think that I think that I've definitely gone into the darker, the darkness of it. Mm -hmm. But I think now like that I've kind of come out of that. It's a time in my career where it's like now I'm looking for the lightness. And I think when I find the two extremes of both and find a way to marry them together, like I think my art will probably find a whole new plane of existence. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But yeah, I mean, like just kind of when, when you said the title about like the fun of all this, I thought, yeah, like the, the darkness gives context to the light, but mm-hmm. then when you have the darkness and you go to the light, you can have almost so much more fun because yeah. you know how far you've yeah, come. You can also
3: <laughs> add lightness to the dark. Sure. You know, not yeah. all comedy is just laughs. Oh, no. There's a lot of comedies that are dark comedies. Yeah. Well, my favorite adding, film, yeah.
1: Fight Club, is actually a dark comedy. A yeah. lot of people don't realize that, yeah. but they laugh at like, can't like, they laugh at the whole idea of the cancer, um, situation, you know, and, yeah. and the guy showing up. Like, I mean, when you say it like that, it doesn't sound funny. I mean, but, the thing is, is yeah.
2: that like I've, I've always said, and again, this is where I think the art of comedy and comedians comes in mm-hmm. is that comedy can actually open the door for a real conversation to happen. Mm-hmm. Sometimes just the comedy is the thing that just, we just need to be able to laugh about something a little bit to, to lighten something a little bit. So we're not so afraid of it. It's not, you know, this hidden thing anymore, so we can laugh about it, and so now we can actually open the floor to seriously discussing, you know, serious things that we n- don't necessarily want to continue doing in our world, in our society, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the best do that. Like, you know, yeah. you look at some... Like, again, I, I'll always refer to him as George Carlin, my favorite comedian of all time. I mean, and I think some of his more contemporaries, like um Louis C.K. is right there for me as well. Like just yeah. guys, they just, they'll dive into some of this shit and they'll make jokes about it and they'll make light, but they're bringing serious things to the forefront. I think a lot of people get super offended because they think that these people don't actually really care about these issues or they think, you know, it's like, that's, that's not actually what's going on. I think a lot of people miss the brilliance of when comedians bring, you know, laughter to this stuff that we get so bent out of shape over. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, um, yeah, so we're kind of hitting that 90 minute mark. I was thinking, so usually what we do at the end mm-hmm. is we, we kind of pick some points that really stood out to us for this podcast. Like, so we can leave the audience with something that each of us gained personally from this talk. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like our, like whatever hit you personally in this talk that you want to like leave people with. Yeah. Um, but before we do that, I want to ask you, Who's your favorite poet or who are your favorite poets that um, maybe someone can kind of like, do you have one or yeah. um, that um, maybe you could recommend for people to kind of go off and, and look into?
3: Well, I mean, one of my personal favorites is Sylvia Plath. Okay. And I have a picture of her on my wall. Uh,
1: why, is she, why is she one of your favorites?
3: She's, um, you know, it's less her poetry that has actually spoken to me as her... Uh, Journal and her letters home to her mom. She's got this uh, collection that was uh, published posthumously of uh, letters that she wrote back and forth with her mom that uh, really struck a chord with me, and her journals as well. And just the way she expressed herself, especially when she wasn't trying to write well. Mm. You know, she was just writing a letter to mom. She was just writing to herself, and she was just so eloquent and so um, introspective, and bold and um sexy and just like this 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 huge personality that just came like flowing like I would have just loved to have met her mm-hmm. and it really came comes through in those writings to her mother and to uh, to herself the way that she expresses herself. Like, she talks about episodes from her life. Like, she's telling a short story. Like, she'll talk about a date with this guy and, like, just really goes into the detail. And I'm just like, wow, you just wrote this in your journal. Like, wow, this is amazing. This is just, um, it's just really amazing to go into her world. Wow. Yeah, cool. so she's, she's she just, a big favorite. She
2: just saw the world poetically. She
3: just saw the world poetically. She was just so, uh, sensitive and so, um, driven, just such a beautiful soul. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah.
1: One other thing I want to ask you before we wrap this baby up, um, <clears throat> was if you're going to give someone advice mm-hmm. for how to do like a spoken word poetry, stand up on stage and share their, share their voice and their heart and their vulnerability with an audience like that. What, what guidance or advice or just wisdoms might you share in part on maybe even a younger version of yourself?
3: Ooh, uh, some great advice. Um, a voice coach once gave me was never speak to an entire audience, speak to one person at a time. Hmm. So when you're up on stage, yeah, it's, it's hard if you consider the audience as a blob because it's not a blob. It's a collection of individual people with individual stories, uh, with individual lives. So my um, something that it's good actually to remind myself of is being on stage. It's helpful to talk to the people who are in front of you.
1: That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And um, also, uh, some of the things that I say, is like occasionally in the middle of a poem, I'll be I'll be terrified. Especially, I, I've i had a moment, always I have a moment with that poem that I shared at the Pocket Life Christmas party. Because it's um, there's certain parts of it that I'm a little bit more bolder. Uh, have a, there's a bit more boldness injecting the poem that I normally... Uh, than I normally um, use in life. And so when I, when I take on that boldness, I have a moment of fear always. Mm-hmm. And it's my challenge in taking that poem to adopt that boldness and being like, the only way that this poem is going to have the full effect is if I can be bold in this moment. And it's a moment when I say, no, I'm not grateful, apologize. And I always struggle with that line. Mm-hmm. yeah, um, Because I, I know that the way to fully... Kind of hit that line is just to to say no i'm not going to apologize mm. and even as i said that now i had a moment of anxiety go through my body <laughs> it's a really hard line for me to say uh but that's um i think that's what makes good poetry that's what makes good performances is saying not the things that are comfortable to say
0: yeah
1: mm.
3: and uh, acknowledging that it's not comfortable to say it and finding that ability in yourself to say them anyway
1: that's amazing mm. wow that was a good question because it led to an amazing answer. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, uh, pat myself on the back.
2: So, uh, yeah, clearly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, I mean, you know what? Every now and then I'm going to do that. Okay, so you're just going to have to live with it.
3: I'd love to share a poem, actually. Oh, would you? Room. Yeah, please, yeah. please do. Um, yep. Go ahead. Well, I've got. I've got
2: Take it away, Madam. So do you, you, guys... you want to do it now, or because, or do we want to do closing statements and then you can? Curious, close close, close with out the with
3: the poem. Okay, let's do that.
2: All right. Okay. Yeah. So let's do our closing statements.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Closing statements, people. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, really, it's just from this whole experience because we, you know, these podcasts are a journey for us. We don't know where they're going to go, and um, you know, so. Um, what's really interesting about the wrap up is you don't really know what's going to stick with each person. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, you don't have to start, but um, one of us will basically just kind of pick something like, did anything stick out to you guys in particular? And if you guys don't have anything off the bat, um, I can go. Radio silence, so I will go. <laughs> <laughs> so, the thing that really stood out to me in this podcast was the nature in how it went fascinates me because we started from this place of like, you know, the fun of all this. And I find it so interesting that we almost immediately went into our depression Mm -hmm. and we started sharing stories about the darkness and the hardships. And I think that it's so telling of where joy and fun actually comes from is that I think, um, surface funny, Is when it's detached from the depth of our humanity, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but it actually is when we find what's funny in our darkest moments is where true comedy exists, and I think that's what I've really—it's really settled into me over this talk—is that you know when you can be in the you know when you can be in the lowest or the worst or the darkest spot of your life, and you can find what's funny about it, and you can laugh, and and I think that's why comedy exists because it can be that lifesaver, you know, like a laugh and a smile. And, a, you know, in those dark times can just be all the light you need to turn something around. And I think, um, it just really became evidently clear to me that the darkness was what actually was needed to go into, to understand what it means to actually like really have like true joy and fun and playfulness like
0: mm. because i
1: think when you're a kid and you haven't really had that hardship yet it's really easy to kind of just play and goof around or joke around and everything's just very light and fluffy but i think when you become an adult and what makes maturity and gives us humanity and humility is the fact that we can do that in spite of the darkness and challenges we've experienced so that's really what shined a light for me and I think like wow like I did not expect it to go that way Mm -hmm. at all and I'm kind of beautifully surprised by it yeah
2: yeah yeah I can go if you're you're (laughs) I'm still
3: I'm still trying to decide. yeah I know because
2: this is this did not I mean I should I shouldn't be surprised at this point on (laughs) after 96 episodes of this podcast yeah not not knowing what's gonna happen and what what the conversation is going to bring mm-hmm. you know i i had some ideas coming into what i thought this was going to be yeah <laughs> and uh and it just was not that but it was wonderfully so and it's hard for me to pinpoint like uh a particular thing about this conversation and i think that's also kind of fitting as well you know i think that um a lot of the subject matter of what we were talking about and even with the reason why we create art and, and about this thing that we do and and what we're doing here and, and as, in as a whole, um, is it's this kind of thing that we, that we wrestle with and that we, and that we struggle with a little bit. And it's not something that we can just, that we just know necessarily. And that's kind of the beauty of the whole thing. And it's a, it's about embracing that as just being the way that it is Mm -hmm. to a degree, Mm -hmm. you know, that it's just like, yeah, like we're filled with dark and with light (laughs) and, you know, all of these things and, and not making them, uh, not making that wrong. No. And that that is maybe exactly the thing that it's supposed to be. And that's actually a beautiful thing. And, that we still have a choice in all of it. I think that was a, maybe one of the points I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'll bring on. It's like, the, it's still all a choice just because we do wrestle with these things. I mean, it just means that it's like a choice that we're constantly being brought to and, and we don't have to choose to be in the darkness. We don't have to choose to stay in the darkness, you know, but that can teach us something and that's something that can bring a lot of depth into our lives mm-hmm. and make our and make the light even brighter if we allow it to yeah. right and it can be fun yeah. <laughs> if we open it up to uh, open up to the darkness in a way it can be fun having fun
3: wading through the darkness having fun experiencing it in some ways yeah like that's kind of the part of poetry poetry doesn't always have to be dark but some of the best poetry does have a little bit of tinge of darkness in it absolutely and uh, it's finding the ability to because you don't want to go into the darkness and be bogged down in the darkness and like drowning you know being like oh yeah like, it's finding... Like especially in acting, finding those darker characters or going to those darker experiences. In some way, you have to have find a joy in going in those places or else it's not going to be good or enjoyable or yeah. maybe it doesn't have to be enjoyable, but it's not going to be... You're not going to get the most out of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: I don't think. Yeah, and,
1: yeah, and I, I kind of just to comment on what you said there, like the... Um, I think our our willingness to express is is... I think we live in a culture where we're constantly suppressed. Yeah. And I think expression and getting, allowing our expression to come out in whatever medium it needs to be, have it be, you're out at a party hanging out with people, talking to them, or you're, you're writing a poem and you're sharing that with someone, whatever way it is, finding ways to take this, Whirlwind of wild energy inside of us mm. that is our subjective experience, and finding a way to be brave enough to take that and put that outward. Yeah. And I think um, most, uh, like I remember one of our teachers said to us very early on, uh, Nathaniel, he said, You know, depression is anger turned inward. And I, and I always think about that. It's like yeah, like when my depressions mostly came from the lack of feeling like I could express myself. And
3: I really like that quote. Yeah. yeah,
1: and I found that when I was writing screenplays or making movies or acting or something, I felt really good. But I realized I'm realizing now more and more that like oh, that's because I was actually expressing. But the rest of the time, I was probably feeling down because I wasn't expressing. Mm-hmm. And and so like I think if you're feeling down, sometimes. You just need to be like, you know, and so one of the things I've been doing, like if, and, it, and it, I find it comes up less and less now, but if I get super angry, because I suppress my anger for a while, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I just like, instead of taking it out on someone else, I'll just like grab something or like a pillow or something and super tight, and I'll, like, like that. And I'll just like, let, I'll let the rage kind of, and i feel it like rush through my body, but it escapes. And when it escapes, I'm like, oh, I feel this euphoria of like release. Because if I keep bottling up the anger, keep stuffing it, stuffing it, stuffing it, eventually it's like poison. It's just gonna, it's gonna take away at my
0: experience,
1: yeah, yeah. right? So it's like, sometimes you just gotta let a little of that emotion out in some way. It doesn't have to be dif- dif- uh, directed at anyone.
3: I can scream into a pillow.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. Anyway, that's, that's kind of what I was thinking about what you said, but I didn't mean to double, to double-do, to double-dip on my, my clothes. Sp- <laughs> um, so what do you got? I'm what? used to it by now, Brandon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what do you got? What, what was the? What would you want to leave us with? And then your poem. Mm,
3: uh, the big takeaway for me was... Oh, there's so much. Um...
1: No wrong answer.
3: There's no <laughs> wrong answer. Uh, I was. What's the first thing? Really I, coming uh, to uh, acknowledge your ideas, I think, and playing with those ideas. And um, I'm, I'm remembering a quote that I read from this book called The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt. And at the end of the book, and there's no spoilers here, she talks about. Um, how the reason anybody lo- loves art isn't because it speaks to the masses and because it's universal the reason people love art is because um and i'm it's, it's because Psst, hey you i'm talking to you mm. you know that moment of mm. looking at something and being like that's i i don't know what they're expressing but i th- i'm having a direct personal experience with that mm. and i feel like the only way that can ever happen is if the person who's making the art is having a true, honest conversation with themselves about what they're experiencing, not trying to talk to the masses, but Mm -hmm. talking to themselves. And in some way, magical way, you end up talking to somebody else. um, And it becomes a fulfilling experience for everybody involved. Um, And, uh, yeah, talking about our experiences with art, our experiences with depression, about what art has done for us, how it's helped us heal, um, I think it's creativity is something that is extremely valuable and uh I think there is a art form that resonates with every single person uh in a very special way and finding that art form I think is a really important um quest as a person
1: very cool Mm -hmm. yeah I love that okay so we're gonna wrap this baby out now okay we want to give you the floor okay So what's this poem called that you want to share?
3: I think I'm going to share the one that I shared at that Christmas party called Between the Lines. Okay. Because I I told the story about the journaling and about this poem being the first one that I ever wrote and performed. And it was a very special experience for me writing it. And it's still a poem that uh, is very special to me. Awesome. Yeah.
0: All
1: right, take it away.
3: Okay. So I'll tell it to both of you since you're my audience. So it's called Between the Lines. I've been told I spend a lot of time inside my own head. And yes, it's true. I do have a habit of traveling through the air around your bodies as you tell me about all the things you dream of doing with your life. But if you've ever been sitting across from me as my eyes started to roam, I promise that my body and my imagination were with you. Your words, your hope, your trust, your breath were carrying me through the worlds I could see behind your eyes and it was only when you pulled your head towards your shoulders and shrugged on a butt that I fell and landed in front of you, in my head, thinking, wishing that I could say something to make you believe in yourselves again so that I could believe in me. I spend so much time inside my own head because I'm afraid. Because whenever I'm feeling discouraged, I do the same thing. I break my life down into little boxes and then move those boxes around like a Rubik's cube until I can solve the flaw that is causing the problem. And if anything is true in my life right now, it's that I wake up most mornings holding my breath as I pray for a day of perfectly color-coordinated thoughts that will behave according to plan 100% of the time. A self who knows who she is, what she wants, and how the dots will align to get her there. But when I woke up one morning two years ago at a desk as a writer at a good company thinking, Finally, I am here. I was surprised by the swirling clump of sound curdling in my stomach. And I wrote, Welcome to perfect. Happiness, you're welcome to show up any day now. Most mornings I wake up inside of an Etch-a-Sketch. A perfect drawing, an acceptable capsule of behaviors that you can rely on me to be. A drawing that I've spent years perfecting, but whose lines are fragile. Maybe all it would take is a screen to be nothing again. But life is supposed to be fun, right? A game where we're the main characters and where we have the power to make the right decisions and exercise and meditate and floss and journal and cross everything off a list that I don't remember making as a kid. Because as a kid, I spoke in a loud, obnoxious voice. As a kid, I draped blankets over the TV to play video games past my bedtime and hung tied-together sheets at the window to make it look like I'd run away, but I didn't. As kids, we all colored so far outside the lines, it's like the lines were invisible to us, and they sort of were. As kids, maybe we were nothing, but nothing can't afford to be nothing because only some things get paid, and meanwhile, we're sitting across from each other telling one another why our dreams can't come true. And why the part will always go to the person with the big color-coordinated eyes who is better than both of us. Because I'm afraid of metaphors. And of seeing the world as myself. And sometimes I have to double back to ensure that, yes, I am still the one who's talking. And yes, this is my voice. And yes, I do spend a lot of time inside my own head. I do that because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of smashed hearts, shy trembles, I'm afraid of the sound of my own laughter, smashed hearts, shy trembles. I'm afraid of the look of judgment, whispering stilling remarks behind your eyelids, and even if you can't hear them, I see them, and I wonder if maybe the same scenario is true for you, and if it is, I'm sorry. Because more than anything, I want to be carried by your imagination, and I want to cushion your doubts with my certainty, but... <laughs> Sometimes I think that maybe it's my certainty that's making you trip and if you've ever fallen because my strength wasn't what I made you think it was, I... No. No. I won't apologize again. You've tripped me too. But maybe that's just because we're better at tripping each other and bonding over the bruises than we are at falling backwards into somebody else's embrace and being propelled forward through the broken Rubik's Cubes and empty Etch-a-Sketches that we abandoned as kids on the side of the road. Buried now in layers of time that have gone too fast, too slow, too bold, too timid, too true, too false. Truth or dare. Truth. I have no idea what I'm doing. Do you? That's
1: it. Oof. <laughs> That sent chills down. That was incredible. Thank you. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you. Jeez, thanks so much for sharing that. The, the broken etch sketches and Rubik's cubes. The Rubik's cubes next. That really like that was like oh, and coloring outside the lines and, and then you can't afford to be a nothing because you need to be something to make money. And oh man, there's just so many truth bombs you dropped.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow, that was a good one. Okay, I'm glad we finished with that. Yeah. Um, so. Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. Um, yeah. I'm just going to close this thing off. So um, is there anything that you want to leave anybody with? Like mm-hmm. a, a place to go to find you? Um, or you- yeah,
3: I've got a website. Okay. Uh, my website is ninecreativelives.com. The number nine, not nine spelled out, but ninecreativelives.com. And on there I share my new poetry. I also share all my reflections. And uh, yeah, you can find me there.
2: Okay. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you.
1: And we'll make sure to put everything in the blog. So come to our website, and you'll find everything about it.
2: That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.